Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Welcome once again to Palm Sunday. This is a day that we remember where Jesus came into Jerusalem with the praise uh, of the people, with palm branches being laid out in front of them. Today also marks the, the last week of our season of Lent. It begins here on Palm Sunday. So we walk through this week. We'll have Monday, Thursday, where we'll remember Jesus' meal, last meal with the disciples. There's Good Friday, where we remember um, the day in which Christ was crucified. Holy Saturday, which is the day cloaked in mystery, where we remember that there is a day where Jesus Christ was dead. And all of this to, to end the season with the celebration of Easter. This Lent for our church, we've been going through different practices for us as we could just try out during the season of Lent to, to try to, a different way of living and being. And we've tried different practices like practicing Sabbath, sharing uh, the good news. We've talked about uh, the practice of meeting people in the margins of our society. And, and it's been really powerful and informative for me. I hope it's been for you as well. Today I'd like to talk about a practice that we see in the Christian life as well as demonstrated in Jesus. And it's simply the practice of trust. Trust seems to be in short supply today. In subtle ways, we are taught to distrust the news. We are taught to distrust government or authority. We talk about how we distrust the, the, the weatherman. I personally, I distrust my, my fuel gauge in my car. I think when it says empty, I think I've got a, several miles left. Our lives in many ways are, have been formed with this the subtle act of distrust. And I believe that for our community and our society, we have uh, been marked by just a general sense of cynicism and skepticism as we have experienced the degradation of trust. Yet, trust is the very bedrock of our spiritual life. Trust is the very bedrock of our spiritual life. To trust in the power and the presence of God in our life, to, to trust in God's providence, the fact that he's with us and he's good and he's in control, uh, to trust that we cannot save ourselves and we trust God's word is true. We trust that this is not the end of life, but this is just the first part of life where we will be with God forever, a God who's faithful, good, and worthy of our life when we will be with him in heaven. So we have trust as like the, a huge bedrock, a pillar to our spiritual life. And I just have wondered lately how this culture of distrust interplays our faith life that is girded by, by, by trust. Brendan Manning was a man whose books deeply impacted me, including one book called Ruthless Trust. A comment from a spiritual director of his really sparked the genesis of this book. Brendan Manning was there with a spiritual director. He was needing a new insight on a particular issue. And the spiritual director responded by saying this. He said, I know, you, I know you've come here for a new insight, but you, you've got enough insights to last you 300 years. The most urgent need in your life is to trust what you have received. It's like you don't need to pursue another insight. You just need to begin to practice trust. And that, for Brendan Manning, began a two-year-long experience where it really provoked this challenging question for him that he really grappled and wrestled with. And it was a simple question, which was, have I really, have I truly trusted Christ? Have you truly trusted Christ? 
A ruthless trust, as Brandon Manning would talk about, is a trust without self-pity, without self-care, self-image. It's a, it's a childlike, complete trust. And I believe that there's few things that warms and delights God's heart than when he sees his beloved children grow in their trust in him. Why? Because when we grow in our trust in him, God gets to show off. Show off that he's loyal and faithful and he's good. He gets to show off that he's a, he's a rock that's firm and steady. He gets to show off that he's the source of strength that we, that we can gather to weather the storms of life. That God's love is the most sure power, the most constant force in this world. Yet we don't tap into that reality when we don't enact trust in our life. Our lives with Jesus do not begin when we've figured things out, when we're moral enough, when we have learned enough. Our lives with Christ begin, we become alive in Christ, when we have learned to trust Him. And every step of our spiritual life with God is maintained through the practice of trust. Every single step of your life. We will continue to grow as we practice trust in Christ. An ethicist, a man by the name of John Cavanaugh, he once went to Calcutta to work alongside Mother Teresa in the house of the dying. And he went there in part because he, he, he had a question he was seeking to have answered he was wondering how, how he should spend the rest of his life. He was looking for clarity around that issue. So he went to Calcutta, he worked alongside Mother Teresa with the hopes that maybe God would give him clarity on this issue. One day, working alongside Mother Teresa, she turned and asked, is there anything I could do for you, um, John? And he re replied by, will you pray for me? She said, of course. For what can I pray? And he said, pray that I have clarity. And then Mother Teresa firmly responded, no, I will not do that. <laughs> okay. She responded, clarity is the last thing you're clinging to, and you must let it go. Confused by her response, he said, I, I've, always, I've always noticed your clarity. I've always admired your clarity, and that's what I long for. And at that, she began laughing, and she said this, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. In our faith life, we often want clarity, and God wants to give us trust. Have you learned the sweetness of a ruthless, courageous trust in God? As much as we would love to have clarity, I think God longs to bestow and give us trust. Trust is not merely the calling for our life, but Jesus, he demonstrated this. He, just, he demonstrated a life living with trust. Jesus one day would say, say to his disciples, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only trust for me to vocalize what God gives me. Another day, he actually says, I only, I only receive what God gives to me. Another day to his disciples, he, he uh, once again called them to obey and trust God. He said this. They came to him. He was starving. for. They, they, he hadn't eaten for a while, so they came to bring him food. And he actually said, the food that I live off of is obeying and trusting God. That's what sustains my life. This is Jesus. What sustained his life was a life of trust. Complete surrender into God. 
That is why I believe that Jesus led his disciples in the way he did. We rarely see Jesus telling the disciples, this is the grand plan for my life. This is, this is how we're going to spend our days. This is how we're going to spend our years together. Instead, Jesus gave the disciples a crash course in trust. He would often lead them to places beyond their capacity, beyond their abilities, so that they could learn that God was trustworthy. One day, he, he was in front of a crowd of 5,000 uh, 5, people. They were hungry people. And the disciples go, hey, where are we going to get food? And Jesus wanted them to learn trust. So he said, you feed them. <laughs> Another day, he saw the masses of people who were in need of healing. They were needing of restoration. And Jesus said, I tell you what, you've seen me heal people. How about this? I'm going to send you out two by two. Don't take anything with you. Because I want to show you to, that you can trust me. And again and again and again, God would have their, their disciples, the followers, people like you and I, Follow him in a lesson of trust. Much like God the Father did with the nation of Israel going through the desert, learning that daily we must learn to trust him. Will you trust me for today? And as they went, they learned to trust Christ. They learned to trust Christ with the big things as well as the small things. So this kind of was normative for them. While in Luke 19, Jesus looked at his disciples and says this in verse 30, Luke 19. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. A colt, you could also translate it as a donkey, uh, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say to them, the Lord needs it. And rather than question Jesus on the morality or the ethics of stealing someone's donkey... <laughs> They simply trusted him. They went. They had learned to trust Jesus, not only in the big issues, but in the small details of the day. How rare is it for you to entrust God with the details of your day? We might feel compelled to trust God with the big issues, the big burdens that we have, but what about the small things in our life? God, I have a 20-minute drive here. Is there someone that you want me to call and encourage today, hands-free? Uh, call and encourage today. God, I have, I have, we have a week's vacation lined up this summer. Where, what do you want us to do with it? I know it's, it kind of seems like a detail, but God, what do you want to do with that? Living with an openness to God's Spirit compelling us to do things, that could direct the details of our day. And don't you think that God wants to, for us to entrust the details of our day to Him? The disciples, they had learned when Jesus says that we must go and do, is for a good reason. So on this day, they go and they do. And guess what happens? Verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. Just as he, Jesus, he knew what was going on. Our, our eternal grand God is a God of details. And sure enough, as they, in verse 33, as they were untying the colt, uh, the owner asked them, uh, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, uh, the Lord needs it. And that was simply enough for this man to go, okay, it's yours. Somehow along this way, this man had also learned to perhaps trust Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. So he was open-handed with what he considered his. At the invitation of Jesus, he was open-handed to release what was his and to entrust it to God. And how would we live differently if we took everything that was ours, all of that which was ours, and give it back to God. 
Okay, God, I have all of this on loan from you. Everything that I possess, everything that's mine, it's on loan from you. So what do you want to do with your gifts? I think we would live so differently. Jen and I, we, we don't do this often, but there was a time in our life where we practiced this, and it, uh, it was a powerful experience for us. Earlier in our marriage, we were struggling uh, with pregnancy, getting pregnant. And uh, we were living in this two-story home in East Austin, uh, which we had a room already dedicated to be a nursery. And years were going on without that being a nursery. And we had this tinge of bitterness growing in us, but then we also decided, okay, um, this home doesn't belong to us. We had an experience, it's too long to share now, but we really believe that home was a gift from God. All right, so this was a gift from God, and we're going to use this season of our life, although we would wish it away, the season of our life. And God, what do you want to do with this nursery that's been empty? We began to pray with an open hand about that. That week, a friend began the painful process of going through a very difficult divorce, uh, and uh, he was struggling financially. Had we not been praying about this situation, had we not been praying about this room, I would have felt bad for him. I probably would have offered to pray for him. Maybe take him out for drinks just so we can just talk it out, and I'd go on with my day. But because we had been open-handed with what we considered ours, I was able to look at him in that moment and go, come live with us. Why don't you come live with us for a while? And I didn't even have to talk to Jen about it. I usually don't uh, encourage husbands to do that, invite people to live. But we've been open-handed about it. We've been praying about that. And I honestly believe, like, how many of those moments blow right past me because I'm not open-handed? Most of my life, I'm not open-handed. And how many moments of those opportunities blow past me because I have, I have not entrusted what God has given us back to Him? And when we do live with that, we get to partner with God with what God is doing in this world. That's what they did. That's what this man did. And just watch what happens next in verse 35. And they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And this is what they said. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. All this happened here, this moment of great rejoicing. It all happened because of a borrowed colt. And don't you imagine what this man who gave this, uh, this colt, this donkey to Jesus was doing the whole time? That's my donkey, everybody. Hey, that's my donkey. <laughs> and after the, this parade, it ended. Don't you know he took it was home, the whole way home. Hey, guys, guess who rode this? You probably made it into a tourist trap, you know? Like, come ride the donkey Jesus rode. That this man was invited into something so much greater simply by trusting Jesus. He was invited to something so much greater because he simply uh, trusted in Jesus with what was his. And as Jesus rode into town, he was received with praise and rejoicing. Some of the versions of the story have the crowds calling out Hosanna. Hosanna, which is another word of saying Savior, or it could even be translated save us. God, save us. Jesus, save us. And you would think that this day would be a joyous day. It would be a day of great celebration and faith. 
But instead, notice what Jesus does. With the praising of the crowds in His ears, calling upon Him to save them, Jesus weeps. Verse 41, As He approached Jerusalem, He saw the city, and He wept over it, and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. You see, these people, they weren't worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping what they hoped that Jesus would be. They saw Jesus as someone with power and with a following and and began to worship that idea of what if, what if God would to do this and maybe he could kick out the Romans and, and the Romans who were so oppressive, maybe this Jesus could do that. Maybe he could lead an uprising and end this abuse and maybe he could reinstate the reign like King David and restore the kingdom. And so, yeah, we're going to praise you, God, because we know that that is what you're going to do in Jesus But these crowds weren't worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping their idea of what God should be and do. They were worshiping the God of their presumptions. And man, are we guilty of that all the time. 17th century, an author named Voltaire once wrote these words that are so true even today. In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. We try to fashion God to whatever image we project on God. Whatever projection that we have of God, that's what we make of God. Rather than trusting the real God and holding out the mystery of who God might be and with faith what God might do, we fill in the gap and we presume what God should be, should be what God should do in our life. And in doing so, we are guilty of worshiping the God of our own design over and over and over again. A God who despises who I despise. A God who's against who I'm against. A God whose agenda is actually to protect my comfort and my wants. Who's hard on others and gracious to me. A God who does not offend me, who does not rebuke me, and does not challenge me. Ah, Hosanna. (laughs) But Palm Sunday displays the fickleness of our worship. This crowd would be the same crowd that would be silent or mocking Jesus days later. And it stops me short in my own life because I resemble this. One day my heart is full and I am so committed to Christ and on the very next day I betray Jesus in very subtle ways. Why? He's not the God I want Him to be today. And this provokes the question, what really fuels my worship and devotion? What really fuels it? And do I truly trust God in and out of season when things go off script, my script of what God should be and do in my life? And am I trusting God or am I trusting the God of my presumptions when things are going difficult and challenging? But thank the Lord Jesus was not misdirected by the praises of the people. He wasn't Uh, thwarted by the desire to please people, like many of us would be and do. You see, Jesus was a surprising Savior. His salvation was different than what people expected. It wasn't going to come through violence and power. The salvation that Jesus was bringing was through a ruthless trust. And even in the way in which Jesus rode in on this day, 
tells the story. Jesus, uh, his choice of this donkey or this colt was a fulfillment of the prophecy is spoken over him hundreds of years before he was here. But this, the symbol of this donkey was subversive. It was countercultural. Why? When victors would ride into town after, after a great uh, war, they would ride in upon a horse, which is a symbol of power. But a donkey? That's just common. It's ordinary. We all have them. <laughs> and this Savior would ride in like you and I into this, to the city, not above everyone, but among the crowd. This would be a symbol for the type of salvation that Jesus would bring one not brought by the sword, but brought by sacrifice. And as Jesus had the ringing of this hollow praise in his ears, he began to weep because he knew it all already. They don't get it. Their needs go deeper. Their need for a Savior is deeper. There's a different kind of salvation. I want to give them, but they don't even see it. They need salvation from the power of sin and death. They need to be saved from their self. Salvation from guilt and regret. Salvation from hollow religion. And so this moment where you would expect Jesus to celebrate, He weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem in Hebrew literally means city of peace. And so when Jesus says these words through His tears, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. City of peace. What would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus knows that we trust the wrong things. We trust the wrong things. If only we could see, if only we had eyes to see what could bring real peace. See, Jesus was not tempted to give in to the wishes of this crowd and please the masses. Instead, he had a ruthless trust of God. He knew the type of salvation that was truly needed. The type of salvation that would lead to real peace. The type of peace that only God could bring. So in his last week, as we follow Jesus in this last week of his life, if you were to read the Bible, you would see what Jesus is doing here. He's pointing out every misplaced trust that people have. Jesus will clear the temple from all the money changers. He will challenge the power of the Pharisees. On, an, on the last meal of his life, he will wash the disciples' feet and have that last supper. He'll be betrayed. He'll be beaten. He'll be sentenced to be crucified. And in front of the same community that declared him Hosanna, Savior, he'll be put to death with their voices silent or their voices mocking this weak Savior. You see, they wanted Jesus to be their Savior, but they weren't ready for Him to be their Lord. They weren't ready to truly trust that God would be who God would be. That God would demonstrate that we're going to have to be required to trust the God in the midst of the mystery when life goes off script, outside of our wishes and outside of the power. Even in Jesus' last days, He would display this ruthless trust in his last moment of freedom, when he was in the garden praying to his father, this last moment of freedom, Jesus went to his father and prayed, God, is there any way that you could take this cup of, of the cross from me? If there's any way that you could take this suffering 
from me, but with works, words soaked in trust, he said, but not my will, but yours be done. I trust you, God. This doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. And even on the cross, in the midst of this great suffering that Jesus would endure, he looked at the chasm of death. And Jesus would declare again words soaked in trust. In Luke 23, 46, Jesus declared, Into your hands I commend my spirit. I entrust my spirit to you. And Jesus lived and died in this posture of trust. And through that horrendous, astonishing act, Jesus gave us uh, what the people were crying for. Peace. People wanted peace. If only they could see what could really bring them peace. And they didn't see it, but Jesus was on the cross to give us peace. Peace that would deliver you and I for all of time. Peace that is present here and now. And peace that Jesus would that the people were crying for the true peace. That's what Jesus would give. Even some of the last words of our Bible in Revelation 21, 5, uh, it, it speaks of what kind of peace that Jesus is, is going to bring. Le- Revelation 21, 5 says this, He who is seated on the throne says this, this is Jesus, I am making everything new, making everything new, renewing all things. And then Jesus said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy. They're worthy of your trust, and they're true. So my question for you today is this. It's the same question that Brendan Manning was compelled to ask himself. I'm just going to ask us today, which is this. Do you trust him? Are you ready to give up trusting those things that ride into our city with power and promise that leave us empty? Are you giving your trust over to things that have failed you? And are you ready to trust the one who is the giver of real peace? Our trust of God ultimately leads us to one question. Do you have trust in the person and the hope of Jesus today? Have you placed your hope and faith in what Jesus has shown you? Maybe you don't need another insight. Maybe all you need is to trust what God has already shown you. Maybe that's the breakthrough in your life. Theologian Paul Tillich, he defined Christian trust as this. The courage to accept acceptance. If this trust that, that I'm actually going to have the courage to accept the acceptance that God has placed in me, over me, in my life, that I am accepted, I'm loved, not through my own good deeds, not through my own achievements, status. I am accepted through Christ, the giver of peace. And so give me courage, Lord, to accept acceptance. To trust Him today. So on this Palm Sunday, Jesus wants to enter our hearts and our lives, wants to enter our community like He entered um, Jerusalem many years ago. He wants us to lay down everything we have, big and small, before Him. And in the posture of trust, receive Jesus for who Jesus wants to be, the giver of true peace, and to trust Him.